Welcome to the Hope Fellowship Podcast, where you can listen to our weekly walk through the Bible. We do hope you enjoy your time with us today. Please check us out at hopehogansville.com. And if you feel led to support our ministry, please click the link in this episode's description. Now here's this week's walk through the Bible. All right, so let's start in verse 1, Jude 1. A bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James... To those who are the called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you would skip over to verse 20. There's a long section there that details uh, that ungodliness. And, you know, as we draw this teaching to a close, maybe when we get to the last few verses, I might go ahead and read the whole book again just to get that context one more time. But for today... I'd like to go ahead and just jump to verse 20. He, just, he details the ungodliness that has in some ways affected the church, has affected the body of Christ. The brothers and sisters in Christ are inadvertently being affected by the godliness of the world or ungodliness of the world around them. And then he stops in verse 20 and he says, but you beloved, uh, identifying the fact that they are, that's not their identity anymore. Their identity belongs to or is detailed in verse 1 and 2 where he calls them the called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Christ Jesus. And he calls them the beloved, and he calls them the saints, which means the holy ones of God. So this is their identity. So he says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Let's pray about this before I expound upon it this morning. Father, I pray that you would help us to understand these words. I pray that you would speak truth to our hearts. Please lead us by your spirit. I pray that you will shepherd me and you will shepherd our church this morning through your word. Convict us where we need to be convicted. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Lead us in repentance. Lead us in worship. Please, Lord, I pray you continue the work of transformation in our hearts by the renewing of our minds. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So right here, in starting in verse 20, uh, he transitions to this set of instructions for the church. This is really the reason that he says in verse uh, three and four, where uh, he says that he had a desire to encourage them in their faith, to talk to them about their most common salvation. 
but he felt the need to encourage them to contend for the faith, which means to fight for the faith, to address certain issues within their own hearts and within the hearts of the church. And then in verse 20, he gets to this set of instructions. And we saw in the previous weeks, uh, there's three participles there in verse 20 uh, in that kind of revolve around keeping yourselves in the love of God, where it says, keep yourselves in the love of God, building yourself on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, and waiting anxiously for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ to eternal salvation. So that, that, that's that expecting of the mercy of God. So this verse comes right after this in verse 20, and have mercy on some who are doubting. So this verse is about mercy. This morning, I'd like to talk to you about extending mercy toward others. Now, um, I think it's great that it comes right after he encouraged us to walk in such a way that we are expecting the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because we are expecting the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ, we ought to extend mercy to those around us, specifically our brothers and sisters in Jesus, whom we know if they are not expecting the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ, they should be expecting the, Lord, the mercy of the Lord Jesus. And so it is our desire, and it should be our desire, to have mercy on them if, in fact, they're doubting. Now, the first story that comes to my mind in Scripture that usually comes to my mind when I think about extending mercy is the story of the unmerciful servant in Matthew chapter 18. Um, we know that story really well, and it's about a servant who owed his master a great debt. Um, and uh, he went to the master and appealed to him concerning his debt, and the master forgave him his great debt. And we know this is a classic story that, that illustrates our need for salvation and what we, uh, the great debt that we owe God and the great offense that we have before God because we cannot make reparations for the offenses that we have um, that we have done before God in our sins, we cannot repair the damage that's done to that relationship without the grace and mercy of God through our Savior Jesus Christ. So He extends mercy to us by providing our salvation in Jesus, and that is a rich and beautiful story of the hope that we have in Christ. But you know the story where He then goes to a servant of His own who owes him a small debt, but he's unwilling to show mercy. And he demands that, that that person pay him back, and the man's unable to do it, and so then he executes judgment upon this person without forgiveness and without mercy and without grace. And as a result, uh, this person, having not truly understood the grace of the master that, had, that extended to, unto him, he was punished. Now, I believe this is a beautiful story about our salvation. And before we go too much further this morning, I'd like to encourage you to consider your own heart and soul. That before we think about anything that anyone's ever done to us or any mercy that anybody else needs from us, we need to first think about the mercy that we need from God. We need to see that we are sinful. And in our poor condition, the Lord has had compassion on us. And he sent his son Jesus to die for our for our sake, so that justice could be done on our behalf, so that we could be forgiven of our sins, and so that we could know the grace of God. If you've not cried out to the Lord Jesus for salvation, I'm inviting you this morning to do that. Um, this morning, though, this passage of Scripture, I believe, is directed specifically at believers 
those who are the beloved, those who are the called in Christ Jesus, those who are those who are being kept for Christ Jesus, the saints. Jude is addressing the church here, and he tells us that while we are expectantly waiting the mercy of God to be extended to us, we ought to extend mercy to others who are doubting. Now, I believe this is also a little different than that story that I just explained. The story of the unmerciful servant is about owing a great debt and having an offense. And certainly, I think we ought to show mercy to those who have offended us, having received so much mercy. But that's not exactly what this is about. This is a different kind of mercy. This kind of mercy is toward those who are doubting in their faith. This is something a little bit different. So let's take a look at doubt specifically uh, here in this passage. He says in verse 22, And have mercy on some who are doubting. Now in the King James Version, it might read, Of some have compassion, making a difference. There's a reason that it's worded that way. Uh, in most of the other versions, you might have New American Standard, ESV, Holman, NIV. Most of it comes out some form of have mercy on those who doubt or have mercy on some who are doubting. And that, that word doubt literally means to, to question or to waver or to be uncertain. That's the concept that's being laid out here. So if you look in Scripture, uh, we do see some examples specifically of believers who are doubting. Now, uh, if you look at these verses, um, I believe these next few verses could be applied to both unbelievers and believers. Certainly, the, the verses that follow are for unbelievers. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. That seems to be a pretty clear reference to the fires of hell and our need to reach them with the gospel of Jesus. Look at the next verse. He says, and on some have mercy with fear hating even the garment polluted by the flesh, meaning that as we attempt to reach people with the mercy of Jesus Christ, that there's a tendency for us to be affected by their ungodliness as we get in their lives and try to reach them. And there's a warning there for us. We'll come to those in the upcoming weeks. But here he says, on some have mercy, or have mercy on some who are doubting, I believe, uh, that this could also be applied to believers who are struggling in their faith. And that's really where I wanted to land this morning because uh, there are a few verses in Scripture that talk about believers struggling with doubt, specifically James. Um, now, we know James is the brother of Jude, so maybe they knew what uh, the other was teaching, maybe not. Maybe they had read each other's writings. It's hard to say. But we know if you were to go over to James chapter 1, we see a really great uh, picture of um, kind of an explanation of believers who are struggling with doubt and his specific instructions for that. So let's take a look at that really quick. James chapter 1 verse 4 says this. Let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. But verse, let's specifically verse 5. Let's look at this. If, you have any, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously without reproach, and it will be given to him. So he's talking about prayer, and he's talking about asking God for wisdom. And verse 6, he says, but he must ask in faith without any doubting. That's, that's uncertainty or specifically unbelief or wavering in your faith. Ask without doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, 
unstable in all his ways. So there's a few things James details about the doubter, the person. In, again, I think he's talking to believers here. If you read the context in James, he's specifically addressing Christians. So it is possible for Christians to doubt. It's possible for Christians to waver. It's possible for Christians to struggle with unbelief. Uh, and I think to some extent it's a little normal. You know, especially when we encounter as Jude is addressing the, uh, the effects of the ungodliness in the world around us. And when we see especially the ungodliness of the world creep up in our own hearts and actions. And it causes us to struggle with doubts. What's the first thing that we have a tendency to doubt is the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the mercy of God. We begin to fear that maybe God will not be merciful for us in this instance as he was before. And we begin to doubt sometimes maybe even a moment of weakness and in, our, in that, that amount of time in which we uh, desired sin and went after sin, there were moments of doubt in which we chose not to trust that God never changes and God is just and God is the judge and will always judge sin the same way that he has in the past. Sometimes as Christians and believers, we have a tendency to, to doubt that God's as serious as he says he is. James says a few things about the, the doubters when he's, uh, he says they're like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. He says that they ought not to expect to receive anything from the Lord in their prayers for wisdom as they doubt. And he calls them double-minded and unstable in all their ways. Now that double-minded concept in Scripture, uh, thematically speaking, I think that reference to being double-minded is a reference to desiring two things at the same time. Desiring the promises and the blessings of God while at the same time desiring the pleasures of the world and having both at the same time, which causes conflict in our hearts and it causes sin and it causes doubt. So then uh, I, you look at that uh, simile or that, uh, that example that James used to illustrate it. He calls those unbelievers or those, or those doubting Christians, he calls them people who are like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. You see that concept in a few places here in James is kind of a reference to being driven and tossed by our desires. And James addresses desires and he addresses the flesh and he addresses our tendency to exercise self-control as we have faith throughout the letter. But you also see it in a couple other places in scripture in Ephesians. Uh, the kind of the concept of being blown around and tossed by the wind. In Ephesians 4.14, Paul encourages the church to grow up in maturity he encourages the leaders of the church to disciple the believers to a point of maturity so that they're no longer blown around and tossed by the winds of doctrines, by the winds of false teachings. So believers, we have a tendency to be blown and tossed by our desires. We have a tendency to be blown around and tossed by false teachings in the world. Sometimes false teachings about God's word. They sound good. They look good. We might have even heard something somewhat similar to that before when we read the Bible or when we went to church years ago. Now there's a new teaching and a new concept and a new book that's out or a new church that's rising that's saying something different. And it sounds really good. And if we're not mature in the faith as believers, we will easily be led astray and blown and tossed by the winds of doctrines. And then there's... I think in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus is talking about the two masters. Again, it's kind of a, that concept of being blown back and forth 
between two masters. We, we desire to serve God, but we desire to serve the world at the same time. We're pulled between worshiping God and worshiping ourselves. And as a result of this double-mindedness, out of that comes this, this doubt, this lack of faith, and this, uh, the, this erosion to the things that we know to be absolutely certain about God. These things that we have been assured of in our faith. These things about the gospel that we have held on to and that we treasure as believers. The truths when we read them in scripture, we're nodding our heads and we're praising the Lord and we're thanking God as we're reading about his grace and we're reading about his mercy. We're reading about the assurance of the, our, the, the hope of our salvation for all of eternity and, and it restores our heart to joy. But then as we struggle with the ungodliness of the world and we struggle with our wavering hearts and doubt creeps in, we sometimes forget just how pure and rich and perfect and complete God is. And there is a danger for believers to struggle in this. And I think Jude is pointing that out in a subtle way. He's saying, believers, there are people among you that you see that are doubting in their faith. They're struggling in their faith. The unique thing about this, you know, James is directly addressing the people who doubt. Jesus addressed the disciples in their doubt often. He said, oh, you of little faith. How many times did he say that as he was walking around with his disciples? Oh, you of little faith. He constantly talked to them about their doubt. But you know what's great? Jesus didn't kick them to the curb and say, you just, I don't know how many times I have to tell you. I don't know how many times I have to try to build your faith and perform wondrous miracles in front of you as a testament to the glory of God and the power and the anointing of the Father in me and his work on earth. And yet they continued to doubt. He didn't kick them to the curb. He continued to walk with them and gently lead them along in their faith. In this case, this, Jude is not instructing the church to not doubt. He's not giving a detailed explanation and a reason for why we ought not doubt. Although I think there's plenty of other scriptures we could study that would give us those reasons. James, uh, the Gospels. Um, and I think as if you're struggling in doubt, I would encourage you to draw near to the Gospels and draw near to God's Word and let the Lord console your heart and your doubts with the truth of God's Word. But here, he's specifically addressing the believers who notice doubt in another believer. He's saying to us, have mercy on some who are doubting. So he's saying, listen, the fact is there's corruption in the world and uh, because of the sin in the world, uh, it is affecting the believers. It might be from sin within their own heart that's causing them to doubt, but it might also just be because we live in a broken world and bad things are happening around us and fear is creeping in and anxiety is creeping in and worry is creeping in and because of disappointments and discouragements. It's, a, it's, it's slowly eroded the, the foundation or the the faith that's been built on the foundation of Jesus Christ in our Christian family. And we notice that. And he's telling us to minister to each other in that. So now that we've kind of seen a little bit about the doubt, let's talk about the mercy uh, that he, ex he asks us to extend. Now, I think a really good understanding of that is to go back to the verse that we saw before, where he tells us that we are to be waiting anxiously for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. We are to expectantly wait the mercy of God to be given to us 
that he's promised and assured us will take place for the believers. This is a wonderful assurance. And as a result of that beautiful assurance, we now have the ability to administer mercy to our brothers and sisters in Christ, the same kind of mercy that we are receiving from Jesus by preaching that again and again and again to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now that word mercy or have mercy means to be compassionate. It means to have compassion. We look upon someone in their lowly estate. That's exactly what God did for us. He saw us in our sin, in our wickedness, and in our, in our inability to save ourselves, in our inability to help ourselves, crying out for hope, crying out for help, as Isaiah says, groping in the darkness for truth. God saw us in that place and had mercy and compassion upon us and provided our salvation. And we oftentimes see our brothers and sisters in Christ who have been saved, who should be rejoicing in, their, in the mercy of God and salvation, but yet for one reason or another are struggling. And the Spirit of God within us, as Jude is saying, is compelling us, should be compelling us to have mercy on them. Now, we have a tendency sometimes to see each other's weaknesses and put our fingers on those weaknesses and cast judgment. And that's human nature, I think. And that's something that I believe the Spirit of God, um, through, that, that God through His Spirit would, uh, would transform us in such a way to, um, to bring out of our life a spirit of judgment and, um, and pride that would cause us to look down on another believer because of their weakness in their faith or because they're struggling with doubt or because they can't seem to overcome whatever version of doubt that they're struggling with. But in this case, we're being compelled to show mercy. Now, uh, this word is a little bit, if you actually get into studying this, it can be a little confusing. And this is why the KJV has it written slightly different. Uh, the word, there's another Greek word that sometimes in some old manuscripts is used for the word mercy. And it's a word that means to refute or convict, uh, which means, which is why in King James Version, it says on some have compassion, making a difference, meaning to, to extend compassion or mercy, which it seems as though King James tried to combine the concepts. And so it's the concept of extending compassion to the extent that we make a difference in their doubt, that we convict them of their doubt. So what's unique about this is it, I don't believe that Jude is encouraging us in our mercy to come upon our brothers and sisters in Christ, say, I understand why you have doubt. We all have doubts. Doubts are common amongst Christians. We live in a horrible world. I don't blame you at all if you're struggling with doubting God right now. Give them a pat on the back, prayer of encouragement, a little bit of enablement so that they can keep on going and let them continue in their doubt. I don't think that's what having mercy means in this instance. I believe that we are being compelled to show kindness, to show compassion, but we are to enter into that doubt with them and help them with their doubt to the extent that we bring them along in their faith back to where they should be in wonderful confidence and assurance of their salvation and the riches and the glory of the hope that they have in Christ. It is an encouragement for you and I to engage in the lives of our brothers and sisters and help them in their faith. So this is, 
not really an instruction for those who are doubting. It's an instruction for us to see the doubt in our brothers and sisters and respond with the gospel. So there's a little bit of admonishment that seems to be implied in this act of mercy. Sometimes the best kindness is to tell somebody the truth. In fact, always it's kind to tell somebody the truth. It's not kind to lie to somebody, even if it makes them feel better for a short amount of time. Um, so an act of a good act of mercy when we see our brothers and sisters struggling in their faith is to enter into that and tell them the truth. So it is an extension of mercy and it is to kindly help one believe. So we we should, I think, take a take a pause and recognize the powerful effect of ungodliness, not just in our own lives, but also in the lives of those around us, but not through judgmental eyes for the sake of having compassion. When we recognize that somebody else might not be quite as mature as we are, right? As if we are that mature in our faith. We recognize that ungodliness has a powerful effect. We recognize the nature of worldly mindedness to cause uh, ourselves as well as others to doubt. And considering Jude chapter 1 verse 3, what is Jude telling us? This is the heart of the whole message. He's saying, listen, we have a common salvation. And I'd love to just encourage you and lavish upon you more riches, more truths about the riches of your salvation. But I feel the need right now to encourage you to contend for your faith. Because ungodliness has affected you in your faith. And he's saying, I'm encouraging you right now to, in that contending for the faith, we are fighting for real, genuine faith in our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what it means to have mercy on some who are doubting, is to fight for their faith, not just our own faith. And it's not a contentious fighting. It's not an argument just so that you can prove that you're right or to prove that you have a better perspective on life than they do, but it is a gentle, kind way of counseling somebody to the extent that you help them believe as they should. So it's a, it's, it's a heart and a mind of love for your fellow Christian. We fight for their faith by way of pouring gospel on their doubt. That's the tool of mercy that God's given to us. That's what we know so well. That's why we are so joyfully expecting our future salvation. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of the kingdom of God is poured out on us. And that's what gives us hope. That's what gives us assurance. That's what gives us confidence. And so we would use that same message, the hope of the gospel of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, and we pour that back into our brothers and sisters on a regular basis. That's why I try my best on Sunday mornings to, when we... When we read scriptures and when we sing and when we pray, we want everything we do to be rich in the truth of God because that's what the Lord uses by his spirit to counsel us, to comfort us, to teach us, and to train us in righteousness and to build up our faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It is building. We're instructed to build ourselves up on our most holy faith. And so we take those same tools and we use them to build one another up on their most holy faith, which is founded on the rock of Jesus Christ. The foundation is set, but what is being built on that foundation is for some reason being eroded by the discouragements of the world. This may be really timely for some of us 
Maybe the whole coronavirus and how it's affected the world has really gotten to us um, and uh, it's changed a lot of things. We don't like change. Nobody, who likes change? The world has changed and that causes a little grief and it causes some gripes. Um, maybe more than that. Maybe some anxiety in the heart. I know it's caused some anxiety in a lot of people, especially um, the whole concept of being isolated for so much, for so long. People are built for relationship. And to be sent home and told not to go outside for months on end is, is, uh, is damaging. Even for believers who have strong faith. Doubts begin to arise when we're not in fellowship, being reminded of the rich teachings of God's word. Doubts begin to arise when we're, when we're alone. Maybe that circumstance has created some difficulty in life. Maybe it's politics and everything that's gone on with the election right now. Maybe it's uh, the, the issues with a racial reconciliation and how to speak to that in truth. Maybe it's the uh, inhumanities and the injustice regarding human life that we observe and we want to see solved, but it seems like is going to be very difficult problems to solve in our culture. These kinds of things can cause even faithful Christians to doubt the sovereignty of God in times like this. God is sovereign. He's in control. He is God, regardless of who is the president of the United States. America is not the center of the universe. I like this country but it's not the center of the universe. The kingdom of God is represented in the body of Christ. Of all the places in the world, um, the kingdom of God in the church represents the glory of God and the sovereignty of God. And we ought not doubt the power of the kingdom of God, regardless of what happens around us. But you know, I think the church, it's, it's again, it is normal for the church to struggle. I, I look through the New Testament letters and I see a lot of encouragement from Paul to the believers because the believers were enduring persecution because of their faith. So it's very real. And they needed that encouragement because Paul knew the power of persecution to cause believers to doubt or to waver in their faith or to be discouraged or to despair. And constantly he encouraged them to persevere and to fight the good fight of faith. And there it is for us. So this compassion that we're encouraged to have, I believe, is for our brothers and sisters. A couple of examples I'll read and then we'll, we'll finish. And these are rich examples to me, some of my favorites. Um, Luke chapter 24 uh, details, um, actually I'm going to read John first. John chapter 20 verse 24. This is in regards to Thomas. See an example of doubt. He's a follower of Jesus Christ. Here's an example. He's eyewitness of Jesus Christ. And uh, he struggled with doubt. But notice the attitude of Christ towards Thomas. We give Thomas a hard time. You know, doubting Thomas. But we could put that label in front of all of us, I think, for, you know, one time. And it got wrote down. Now he's doubting Thomas for forever, you know. So... That's what happens when you write things down. Be careful with your social media. But um, anyways, <laughs> verse 24, this is what it says. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the imprint of the nails, and put my finger 
into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So there it is. There's the doubt. But he, he's not doubting the existence of Jesus. He knows Jesus. After eight days, and, you know, he also, just side note, he, he heard Jesus tell him that he was going to rise from the dead. Jesus told the disciples on several occasions that he was coming back, but he still was doubting. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. So there's the words of Jesus pronouncing peace upon those who are witnessing him at this moment. Verse 27, then he said to Thomas, reach here with your finger, see my hands, reach here your hand and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving, but believing. Notice that Jesus didn't have to do that. He could have said, Thomas, you didn't believe. Everyone else believed. Thomas, you can leave. Everyone else, you can stay. But he looked at Thomas and he gave him an extra measure of grace by allowing him the privilege of being able to prove that Jesus was who he says he was. Jesus gently assured Thomas, I think that was an act of mercy. Showing uh, a kindness to Thomas by looking at him in his low estate, in his doubt, not condemning him for his doubt, but instead offering him a means of salvation and welcoming him and pronouncing peace upon him and saying, believe. Believe, But then he did say, Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. So there is that belief. It's restored. It's renewed. And that would be my hope that in our community groups as we minister together, that it would be a great place for us to express our doubts. Because we all know we have doubts, so we don't have to hide them. If we're not condemning each other for them, we're not judging each other for them. We are willing and able to say, listen, as I'm reading these scriptures and I want to just share these things that are going on in my life. And honestly, I'm struggling and I'm having a hard time with God right now because I don't really understand why this is happening. That's a great opportunity for us to extend mercy and pour the gospel back into our brothers and sisters lives. Hopefully to the extent that we can encourage them in their faith and bring them along in their faith. That's what I hope the body of Christ will be able to accomplish together as we fellowship and as we study together and pray together and eat together. To the extent that one of our brothers and sisters who is struggling will come back and say, you're right. I believe. I do believe those things. I think of some of David's psalms where he starts out the psalm talking about how horrible things have been. You know, I'm making my bed to swim with my tears. You know, life is over. You know, he's being really dramatic. And then he, at the lands, though, on, uh, he talks then about the sovereignty and the power and the eternal salvation of God. And he lands on a reminder where it's almost as if he's, he's saying these things. We're reading them as if he's saying them to us, but he's preaching them to himself. And then he lands on hope. Where he says, yes, I feel these things and I have these doubts, but God is sovereign and I do believe. And I believe that's a great picture of what it is we do for one another. We express our doubts. It's okay for us to express our weaknesses and our fears and our anxieties. And then we come to each other with the rock-solid teachings of, of the truth of God. And then hopefully the response for all of us would be, we believe together. Let's rejoice in that together. And let's pray each other through these difficult times. Another example I think is, is great. Well, you know, Jesus... 
Uh, he gives more detail about that exact story in Luke 20. I won't, I won't read all those details, but um, he says some more really wonderful things to uh, the disciples in that scenario. But another one that's one of my favorites is, um, is from Matthew chapter 14, verse 26. This is a reference to uh, Peter walking on water. We know this story really well. It's kind of a classic, right? Or we've been taught that in Sunday school and vacation Bible school since we were little kids. Um, Matthew chapter 14 and verse 26, it says this, When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. So Jesus came, the disciples were out in a boat. Jesus came walking on the water. They thought it was a ghost. They cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. This is a really awesome story about Jesus, about Jesus walking on water. And Peter, I mean, it'd be perfectly normal for the Son of God to be able to walk on water. We all get that. But uh, an average, ordinary, sinful human being having the power to walk on water, that's a little different. Right. And so here he is walking on this water in the power of Jesus Christ. But this is a great story about to me. It's a great story. It's an illustration of the walk of faith, of the faith, the life of faith that we live, the faith that Jude is talking about when he tells us that while I was making effort, every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith. That's a reference to our way of life. The life of Christianity, faith in Jesus Christ, the, the way we live. And Peter walking on water illustrates that because he had the ability, the ability to walk the walk of faith because he had his eyes on Christ and he was being obedient to Jesus Christ. And he was trusting in Jesus Christ by faith. He was believing. But as soon as he took his eyes off of Christ and he began, uh, became overwhelmed by the thought of the power of the waves around him. Maybe he couldn't swim. I don't know. Maybe he, he, uh, he lived in a culture in which they weren't really all taught how to swim. That's very common in some places in the world. He was apparently extremely terrified because as soon as he took his eyes off of Christ and started looking out at the waves around him, he thought this is a bad situation and he forgot about the power of Christ and he began to sink in the waves, which, was, um, which I believe is, is an illustration of the fact that when we come across uh, circumstances in our lives and our eyes drift from the glory of our salvation, Jesus Christ, to the circumstances of the world, doubts arise and we become overwhelmed to the extent that we then have to cry out to Jesus for help again. He reaches his hand up. Christ reaches down and pulls him up out of the waves. This is, again, an act of mercy in Peter's doubt. Jesus, again, just point out the obvious he could have let Jesus or he, he could have let Peter drown because he just didn't have enough faith oh you of little faith I've told you that enough times this is your last time you know but instead he reached down and extended mercy and I think it's really beautiful he says Peter got out of the boat walked on the water came toward Jesus but seeing the wind he became frightened and began to sink he cried out Lord save me immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and he took hold of him and said to him you of little faith why did you doubt when they got into the boat, the wind stopped and those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, you are certainly 
God's son. Look at how their faith was restored by seeing the power of Christ on display. And I believe that for us, whenever we are struggling with doubt in our own lives, whenever we put our eyes on Christ and abide in Christ and walk with Christ, we build ourselves up on our most holy faith. We're praying in the Holy Spirit. We are reminding ourselves of our wonderful expectation of the mercy of God for all of eternity. We find ourselves rising above the difficulties of this life. And everything that has caused us to doubt him to begin with begins to fade away in light of the gospel. And that's exactly what we do for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We preach this gospel in the hope that... Uh, in the hope that their belief and their faith will be strengthened, that it will grow, and that it will be restored. What a, what a blessing that we've been given that ministry. You know, the kingdom of God is, is made up of, on earth, is made up of believers. We gather together corporately as a church. We're a small representation of the kingdom of God. We're called ambassadors, which, mean, which means we represent him to this world. We speak on his behalf where our job is to lead people to plead with people that they be reconciled with God. And that's the ministry of the church for, for each other as well. Our job is to represent Christ, to represent that hand of mercy. When our brothers and sisters are crying out for help because things are not well right now, we extend our hands and we extend compassion and kindness and mercy. What a rich and beautiful story and instruction for us. So he says, have mercy on some who are doubting, save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Now notice verse 24. To him, this is a Jew, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time now and forever amen this morning i'd like to just encourage you as believers first although i don't think this is designed intentionally to convince you not to doubt i do believe god's given us good reason to not doubt and if you're struggling with any version of doubt in your life for any reason whatsoever i would encourage you to just confess that to the lord with an, with a um with a humble heart and cry out to Jesus for help draw near to the Lord and he will counsel you in that difficulty. And believers, I would encourage you to continue being involved in your brothers and sisters' lives to the extent that they're able to trust you with their doubts so that you could minister to them with the gospel. If you want to know what it means to be a member of Fountain Church and how to serve as a member of Fountain Church, one of the one of my my personal desire would be that the greatest act of service from our brothers and sisters in Christ is to know each other well enough to administer the gospel when it's needed. That is a beautiful act of service for your brothers and sisters in Christ. We do that through community group and, the way, and, and meeting together throughout the week and having fellowship times like this so that we can know each other and so that we can pray for each other and so that we can administer the gospel. That is service to your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's mercy. Um, so I encourage you to consider what it would look like for you to have mercy on those. And if, if there's been any judgment, then there might be some time 
necessary for some confession and repentance on that front. And I'd like to end with this from Psalm 71. I read this when we opened the service this morning. Um, just in light of the fact that maybe having heard this um, and thinking through this passage, my thought as a pastor is that there's a potential that some of you are struggling with doubt and um, uh, as a means of encouragement to you this morning, uh, as an act of mercy, I would like to read Psalms 72 verses 19 through 20. I think these words are, I didn't read these specific ones at the beginning, but it's part of the same psalm. Um, just a rich reminder of who God is and the hope that we have as believers. For your righteousness, O God, reaches to the heavens. You have done great things. O God, who is like you? You have shown me many troubles and distresses. You who have shown me many troubles and distresses will revive me again and will bring me up again from the depths of the earth. So if you've at all been overwhelmed by any version of doubt or discouragement in your faith or because of the circumstances of life. There are times when the Lord allows us to see many troubles and distresses, but he will revive us again. He will bring us up again from the depths of the earth. just want to encourage you with that this morning. So believers, I encourage you to pray for each other. Um, as an act of mercy, pray for your Christian family today as we pray. Um, that would be my invitation to you this morning. As we sing and pray, please lift your hearts to the Lord and pray for specific people that you know in our fellowship. Even if you think they're doing okay, just pray that they will know the mercy of God, that, uh, that their faith will be strengthened. Um, and if you're at all struggling with believing in God to begin with, and you're not sure that you're a believer, you're not sure that you're in a right relationship with God, again, I would plea my plea would be that you would cry out to the Lord Jesus for salvation. Let's stand together and pray. Thank you for listening to this week's Walk Through the Bible with Hope Fellowship. I leave you with these words from Numbers 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.